Hello, my friends, and welcome to another moment, a Black History Moment with Bo. And I hope this is a great day for you. I hope throughout the day you laugh so hard that your sides ache. And if you should happen to be a new listener, I say welcome. And I can guarantee you that here on this show, you will hear the truth. And there's something funny about the truth. It's like a magnet. It will draw you to it time and time again. And that's what this show is about. It's not about teaching. It is about awakening. And I find the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those that speak it. (laughs) And we do have our share of haters. But that's all right. Because one thing about it, the more those haters listen to our show, the more the truth will set them free. Women's Month is just about over. But we're not going to let up. We're going to keep dragging these great women out of the darkness and into the light where they have always belonged. You know, some people talk to you in their free time. I free my time to talk to you, to tell you the truth with a side of entertainment. That being said, let's slip on into darkness and talk about one of these glorious Sisters. The details of Elizabeth Freeman's life are hazy. We know for a fact that she was a key player in one of the most important legal cases of the American Revolution. But Elizabeth never learned to read or write. So her life story was recorded by the people who knew her or historians who heard her story secondhand. This can make it difficult to know what motivated her and how she felt about the events of her life. But sharing what we do know is important because her choices changed the history of slavery in America. Elizabeth was born into slavery in a small town in the New York colony around the year 1744. She was owned by Peter Hodgeboom, a descendant of the original Dutch settlers in the area, and he and his family called her Bet. As an enslaved person, Elizabeth had no control over her own life. She and her sister were very young when they learned this lesson. They were sent to live with their owner's daughter, Hannah, a woman who had married and moved away years before either Elizabeth or her sister were born. Elizabeth and her sister were forced to move and start a new life of servitude in Sheffield, the town where Hannah had lived. 34 miles away from everything and everyone they had ever known. Elizabeth and her sister were domestic servants. They were responsible for doing the hard labor of keeping Hannah's home running smoothly. 
They looked after her four children, did the cooking and cleaning, and tended the family garden. This kind of work was very physically demanding, and it never let up. Hannah, it seemed, was married to John Ashley, one of the most important leaders in western Massachusetts. He was a prosperous landowner, decorated war hero, representative in the colonial legislature, and local judge. But life in his household was not easy. Elizabeth was once hit with a hot coal shovel while trying to protect her sister from Hannah's anger. She bore an ugly scar on her arm for the rest of her life. Around the year 1765, Elizabeth gave birth to a baby girl, whom she also named Elizabeth. Elizabeth never named the baby's father. Later in her life, she told people that he was killed in the American Revolution, but she still never identified him. Enslaved women were vulnerable to sexual abuse, so it is possible that Elizabeth kept his name secret because the baby was a result of a traumatic experience. It is also possible that Elizabeth's relationship with the man was consensual, but she feared that if the father's identity was discovered, he might be in trouble with the law. Regardless, little Elizabeth, as the daughter of an enslaved woman, was born and grew up enslaved in the Ashley household. Now it seems, my friends, John Ashley played a central role in the politics of his community in the lead up to the American Revolution. All the most powerful men in western Massachusetts would gather at the Ashley home to discuss the events of the day and debate the appropriate response. On January the 12th, 1773, they took a daring stand by publishing the Sheffield Declaration in the Massachusetts Spy. The first resolution of their declaration stated that mankind in a state of nature are equal, free, and independent of each other, an idea that would appear in the Declaration of Independence three years later. Elizabeth had plenty of opportunities to overhear the discussions of the men who drafted the Sheffield Declaration. Like many other enslaved people, she was probably inspired by the idea that all people were born equal and hoped that it would be applied to her. Many enslaved people in the 13 colonies realized that the ideals of the American Revolution created an opportunity for enslaved people to assert their independence from those who claimed to own them. But they also knew that they needed to wait for the right opportunity because slaveholders were likely to put up a fight. And if the enslaved people lost, they would never, ever be free. Seven years passed before Elizabeth found her opportunity. On June 15, 1780, Massachusetts passed its state constitution. Elizabeth attended a public reading of the new constitution, where she heard the words enshrined in the document's first article. 
All men are born free and equal. Unlike the Sheffield Declaration or the Declaration of Independence, which were public statements of the principles motivating the American Revolution, the Massachusetts Constitution was a legal document and its very first article asserted freedom and equality for all. This idea was now the law of the land in Massachusetts, and Elizabeth knew that the time was right to try for freedom. Elizabeth asked Theodore Sedgwick to be her lawyer. Theodore was a young lawyer who had participated in the meetings that led to the Sheffield Declaration years before. He agreed to help her because he thought it was a good chance to challenge whether slavery was legal under the new state constitution. Theodore added a second person enslaved in the Ashley household, a man named Broom, to the case. Historians think he did this to make sure the case wasn't dismissed simply because Elizabeth was a woman. Now, Theodore and his partner argued that Elizabeth and Broom could not be slaves because of the new state constitution. Ashley's lawyers argued that Elizabeth and Broom had been his property long before the constitution was passed. The courts sided with Elizabeth and Broom, agreeing that according to the constitution, they had always been free. The court ordered Ashley to pay them 30 shilling fee and all their trial costs to make up for enslaving them. Ashley appealed the decision, but later dropped his case when two other freedom trials were decided in the same way, signaling that the practice of slavery was officially unconstitutional in the state of Massachusetts. Many enslaved people realized that the ideals of the American Revolution created an opportunity for them to assert their independence from those who claimed to own them. In the wake of her victory, Elizabeth changed her name to Elizabeth Freeman and gave her daughter the same last name. John Ashley offered to pay her to continue working for his family but she declined. Instead, she took a job as a paid domestic servant for Theodore Sedwich, possibly because she was thankful for the great service he had rendered her. Elizabeth became a beloved member of the Sedwich household. Most of what we know about Elizabeth comes from the writing of Catherine Marie Sedwich, Theodore's daughter who became a famous author. In 1853, she published an essay called Slavery in New England, which she tells the story of Elizabeth Freeman's life. She described Elizabeth's experience with the cruelties of slavery and the triumph of her trial with her father as the hero, of course. It is through Catherine that we know that the Sedgwick family did not use Elizabeth's chosen name, but instead called her Mumbet, short for Mother Beth. Elizabeth worked for the Sedgwick family's many more years, keeping their home 
caring for their children, and occasionally protecting the family from harm. Catherine fondly recalls when Elizabeth saved the family silver from marauders during the Shays' Rebellion by hiding it in her own trunk and then triggering the men into not searching it by mocking them for wanting the belongings of a black woman. Catherine remembers this as an example of Elizabeth's quick wit and nerves of steel. But the episode also reveals that Elizabeth knew racism was still widespread in her community, whether she was free or not. When Elizabeth had saved enough money, she bought her own home and lived there for the rest of her days. When she passed away on December 28, 1829, the Sedwich family buried her in their family plot with a marble tombstone. She was the only black servant honored this way by the Sedwich family. My friends, whether you are black or white, these awesome human beings have enriched the history of the United States and should be studied by all for great inspiration as testimonies of the indomitable nature of the human spirit. That, my friends, was Elizabeth Freeman, who fought and fought for her freedom and who eventually gained it. Without the ability to read or write, she took on the Massachusetts court system. Rest in peace, my beautiful sister, and be aware that your story is no longer in the darkness. My friends, that music tells me that it is once again time for me to get out of here. But before I go, I want to leave you with a thought. When your entire history has been written by your former enslavers and current oppressors, then everything you've been taught are lies rewritten to favor whom? Y'all have a great day. And until next time, it's been my honor. <laughs>